Welcome to Aiming for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I'm Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we will be interviewing Keith Musket. He wrote a book about the Chachapoya, an ancient civilization in the upper Amazon of Peru. So here's the interview. Welcome, Mr. Keith, to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome having you here. So you study a group called the Chachapoya, and which is really interesting. So could you tell us a little bit about these people and why you study them? Well, the uh, Chachapoya are a group of people, a culture, I guess you could call them, who lived up in the northern part of the Peruvian Andes mostly on the eastern side, which is the Amazon drainage. So up north of uh, Lima and the center of Peru, and then uh, heading up towards pretty close to the Ecuadorian border. And it was a culture that um, it's what's called a pre-Columbian culture before European contact. And they existed in, um, in that area for several hundred years. We don't know exactly how long, but, uh, guessing that they got their start about a thousand years before the uh, Inca came along and uh, conquered them. And not long after that, the Spaniards came along and uh, um, conquered the Inca. So the Chachapoya suffered two very quick, successive, disastrous blows to their culture uh, by uh, two successive conquests. And their, their language and culture virtually disappeared. They were uh, decimated in terms of the numbers of people that um, uh, survived these uh, attacks and conquests and the uh, disease and um, you know other misfortunes that befell them afterwards. So uh, they're um, a very interesting culture because they did a number of things that uh, fascinate uh, archaeologists. They um, they built wonderful uh, monuments, uh, architectural uh, monuments, buildings, and uh, you know large stone-built settlements. Uh, and they also had the interesting habit of mummifying their ancestors and depositing them in caves. That are, although they're in the jungle, uh, they're up at high altitudes in uh, caves where the preservation is very good. So we have an extraordinary example of. Uh, a culture that largely lived in cloud forests, as we call it, a kind of high altitude jungle, uh, where they um, preserve their ancestors. So we have remarkably good preservation of um, human remains, textile bundles that they were wrapped in, and the uh, artifacts and uh, ceramics and wood and leather and other things that uh, netting and so forth uh, that were um, uh, deposited with them when they were. Uh, uh, deposited in these high altitude caves. So I think that's sort of it in a nutshell. Uh, it's a very little known culture. It's becoming more and more known in recent years with some uh, important discoveries. Uh, but until quite recently, if you look in a book of uh, Andean uh, archaeology, uh, you would find very little reference to them. But that, that's changing as we find out more and more about them. So I think that's it and about a nut, as small a nutshell as I can get it into for you. Yeah, it's really interesting. They seem to be a really unique culture. So I'm kind of curious. These people are very, like, it's a very ancient civilization. 
So how do you know when you find something that it's original? How do you know it's not just something that maybe somebody put there because they wanted to honor their Mm. ancestors, but it was like a hundred or 200 years before or after the actual thing you wanted to study is like, how do you know something is an original artifact? Um, I think, uh, you know, an accumulation of experience. Uh, It it is possible that in some instances, um, um, more modern people, would return to places that had been sacred for a long time and uh, return and continue to deposit uh, offerings. Uh, we know that that happens in other parts of the world. That certainly happens in the uh, Maya area in Mesoamerica. Uh, but in this area, the culture pretty much died out entirely. Um, the, uh, the, the language vanished entirely as the Inca probably uh, almost outlawed it. And of course, then the Spaniards came along and imposed their language too. Uh, So there's very little uh, what we would consider to be cultural continuity between the ancient Chachapoya and the contemporary populations. That doesn't mean there's no connection. Uh, There are people whose uh, names and the names of the towns and the places that they live in probably are relics of the uh, old language. But the artifacts that we find are very, very clearly ancient and belong to that culture and very few of them would be less than 500 years old uh, the inca conquered them in the i think around about the 1480s somewhere in that area we're not really sure um maybe they there was some earlier impact of the inca but most of the Chachapoya artifacts that we have are either ones that the Chachapoya themselves made and we recognize them by the you know, their style and their, you know, material qualities. And quite a few of them date from the period of the Inca conquest. And we find uh, artifacts, things like ceramics and textiles that um, show both the influence of uh, Chachapoya culture and the influence of Inca culture. So kind of hybrid. So I I don't don't know if that answers your question well, but uh, I'm I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great response. That's really interesting. So I've never heard of Jachapoya until we started interviewing you and Daniel Fernandez de Villa. So how, like you said, they're not very well known. So how did you learn about the Jachapoya and end up trying, like end up really studying them and getting in depth? Well, I have a a, a, a character peculiarity, which is that, Whatever everybody else is doing, I always want to do the opposite. So when I was a uh, hippie traveler uh, a long time ago, backpacking around uh, Peru, um, you know, interested in all the things that uh, hippies were interested in, including ruins, uh, I found that wherever I went, I was being treated like just another outsider, you know, another hippie backpacker, like I was being stereotyped, I guess you could say. And... uh, so I got all my uh, friends that I, you know, um, English-speaking friends that were traveling in Peru, and I sat down with a map of Peru, and I asked them where they'd been, and wherever they had been, I crossed it off the map <laughs> until there wasn't very much left on the map of Peru, and I decided I would go there. And that's uh, how I ended up in Chachapoyas, because it was a part of Peru that uh, nobody, at least nobody that I knew, uh, seemed to be interested in uh, traveling to and visiting. And it turned out to be a a really happy accident or a decision, I guess you could call it. And uh, I ended up uh, in a wonderful part of Peru 
that was wide open for uh, a kind of exploration that was not generally available to people who were going to places that were already uh, well known and kind of on the uh, what, what I call the Gringo Ant Trail, <clears throat> places, <laughs> places that very predictably uh, gringos would uh, go and visit because they'd seen pictures in books. Uh, I, had, I had heard a little bit. I had had one passing contact with the Chachapoya that a, uh, a, a, a friend of a friend had visited uh, where, the town where I lived, Santa Cruz in California, and shown me some photographs of, a, um, of an adventure that he had been on in the area and uh, showed me some photographs of some ruins that I found visually uh, very, you know, at that time I was very interested in uh, visual art, art history, uh, photography, things of that nature. And the runes that he showed me were visually very, very interesting. And that's also stimulated my uh, interest. But I'd actually, when I got to Chachapoyas, I'd kind of forgotten <laughs> that uh, I'd already seen some photographs from the area. But that's that's how I got there was, uh, a, uh, I think they call it a counter-suggestive impulse. That's awesome. And I have to say, I'm also the same way. <laughs> I have the first, When I hear someone's doing something, my first inclination is to do the exact opposite. So <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad that that's working out for you. I'm glad that there are good things that can come out of that. I, um, hope, I, I hope it works out equally well for you. <laughs> and, thanks. And, and, so, and, so I do have a question. So you so you study ancient cultures and not a lot of people do that and some people don't see the importance in that so why do you think that we should study ancient cultures and history do you think that that's super important should we put a lot of emphasis on that you know if again this is going to sound a little bit crazy but uh if if I if I knew why I did it I would have to stop doing it <laughs> <laughs> It's the it's the enigmatic quality. It's the um, particularly with the Chachapoya because we know so little about them. There's very very little uh, written history from the earlier period of the conquest. Um, so other than what you actually see, the uh, the artifacts, the remains, the ruins, the ceramics, the textiles, maybe a few other things. Though that's the only evidence that we have to piece together who they were and how they lived and how they thought and uh, how they interacted you know, intellectually with the world around them and each other and outsiders. Um, so it's kind of like doing a, a giant crossword puzzle or a jigsaw puzzle that you can never, you know, you find the corner pieces and start fitting it together. But uh, Little bits of the picture come into focus and you think you're heading in the right direction and then you find pieces that don't fit at all and think maybe <laughs> maybe it's a completely different jigsaw puzzle than the one that you thought you were working on. So that's what keeps me going is the it's the the mysterious and enigmatic qualities about it. That's not what gets everybody uh, interested in archaeology. I know there are more scientific archaeologists than I who are studying things like um, or how diseases were propagated around the world, or how different plants were cultivated and passed from one culture to the next, and things of more scientific importance. For me, it's it's still this uh, kind of kind of sense of adventure and intellectual uh, curiosity. That's at least that's the way I think about it. It's also kind of I have a background in theatre as well, and um, traveling 
with, with or without companions, but always with the local, um, uh, you know, campesino friends that I've developed relationships with. Uh, it, it, it's always a little bit like putting together improvised theater. I, I love that theatrical aspect <laughs> of it. That's awesome. I also am interested in theater, so I can definitely relate with that. Well, um, so you are actually an author of a book about the Chachapoya. And so we have talked to a lot of authors and we always kind of ask them how, like kind of how their writing style is. So did you ever think that you would become an author? Were there any challenges writing the book or have you just been interested in writing or wanted to write a book for years? Well, again, it's it's funny how these things come about. Um, uh, I was very interested uh, as a um, you know as a student in literature, particularly dramatic literature, and uh, I went on to become a uh, a very a very minor and unsuccessful uh, playwright. Um, uh, I, I have I, I have failed at more things in my life than most people have even attempted. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Writing a book came about a little bit by accident. I sort of had been developing over the years the idea that one day I would put together a, uh, you know, some kind of narrative of my uh, travels. And um, I think I'm probably as much a photographer as I was a writer, a little bit of both. And uh, one time a publisher approached me, or I approached the publisher, I forget which, uh, suggesting a book of photographs of Native American rock art, rock art from uh, uh, California and Arizona and Nevada and the Four Corners region. I was doing a lot of photography of uh, uh, petroglyphs and pictographs and things like that. And uh, so I put together a presentation. We got together and uh, he was interested in that stuff. And he said, you got anything else you want to show me? And uh, I started showing him uh, photographs of my uh, travels in Chachapoyas, and uh, he became very interested in that and uh, we dropped the um uh, we dropped the uh, it was actually going to be a calendar of rock art photographs they did a lot of uh, graphic calendars we dropped that and uh, he said why don't you write a book on um uh on the why don't you do a present you know a proposal for a book on the Chachapoya so I put the, put a proposal together rather quickly and he called me up and one day, and uh, I think it was in, I don't know, February or something like that. And he said, the good news is that we, we want to do your book. The bad news is that you have to have it finished by the end of March. <laughs> so, Oh, wow. Uh, so I, I knuckled down and basically the, the, book, uh, the book is really a collection of photographs that I wrote the text around. It's, it's sort of one of those photographic coffee table type books. Uh, that I thought that the um, the best way to approach it was to uh, pick out the most interesting images, the things that would catch the viewer's eye, and then draw them into the uh, the story, the text that went along with it. So it's that kind of book. That's great. So uh, we're moving on to our last two questions. And okay. the first one is, what books have had an impact on you and why? Well, uh, these Days I mostly read a lot of documentary things. I'm actually very interested in addition to the Peruvian cultures. I'm interested in uh, in the Maya and even fool around a little bit with uh, trying to uh, interpret their hieroglyphs. Uh, so I do a lot of that reading in the realm of fiction. I would say, um, I would. Oh gosh, I don't really know. Um, 
I know it's hard. I, it's hard yeah, to pick. I would, I would say um, there's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say. Probably Cien Años de Soledad. You know that book, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, A Hundred Years of Solitude. It's translated in English. And uh, that is a wonderful work of fiction, uh, deeply um, metaphorical about a lot of things, fabulously well written. And I think that uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of the great Latin American authors. So I would highly recommend that to you. Um, you can read it on lots of levels. It's a, it, it's a very enjoyable book to read on a very superficial level, just as a, and a you know, fun narrative. Uh, but it uh, has a lot, lot of deeper levels to it. So it's really a good book to uh, not not just read once, but come back to, you know, periodically later on. Yeah, that's it's been a really interesting discussion, and that sounds like a really interesting book. I've been surprised. Like, um, I sometimes will read books that are written by other authors who aren't, or they're not just English books that they've been translated. And it's that there are some books that are great, and that sounds like a great book. So I'll definitely have to check that out. So well, a hundred years of solitude. Yeah, it sounds read, really interesting. Read it, read it in Spanish if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. I really do. <laughs> well. Again, this is our last question, and we've really enjoyed the interview so far. So, to hit at home, what advice do you have for teenagers? Uh, I would say stay a teenager as long as you possibly can. Um, and uh, don't, don't, don't think about what you're going to do when you grow up. Think about what you're going to do if you grow up. I think that's a much better strategy. <laughs> so, that's my advice. That's really interesting. Why do you say like if you grow up? Like that's I haven't heard that before. Because then you'll be in the process of growing up for your entire life and there will always be new things, new horizons, new questions, new answers, always more questions than there are answers. So I think that's one of the great delights of being young is that um you know the world is your oyster as they say and I think one of the uh, techniques of, um, I don't know, get, getting beyond being a teenager is to try and sustain that level of uh, excitement and interest and curiosity uh, that you have when you're a teenager. And I don't know if I succeeded entirely in doing that, but uh, I do try. That's really interesting. I haven't heard that advice before, but I really, I really like that idea of always trying to stay, maybe not young, like physically, but young um, intellectually and always try to keep going, being curious. And I really, I really like that. Well, thank you, Mr. Musket for coming on. It's been awesome to have um, having you on and talking about ancient cultures and everything else we talked about in between. And the, the pleasure and the privilege has been all mine too. So one of the things that stuck out to me during the interview was how he said he marked off all of the places in Peru that all of his friends had gone to. And then he was like, well, I'm just going to go where everybody, nobody else has. And that's like what his entire research is based on is him doing that. I think that's funny because that's like so me. And my parents always tell me, Maddie, it's okay to be like other people at some point. And I think this is funny because it worked out so well for him. So yeah, I thought that was a really interesting tidbit. And that does sound a lot like you. Um, that was that was really funny during the interview. I think it's really cool how 
I guess you'd say he's one of the leading experts in this ancient civilization. And he's kind of like led the way and paved this path of just learning so much about this unknown, unknown, I guess, culture and society. And I think that's so fun to be able to say that you've shed some light on all of these amazing discoveries. So I find that super fascinating. And I think that'd be so fun to do that one day. I thought that was really fascinating. So our announcement section, the ding. Maddie, what are our usual notifications? So we have a website at aimingforthemoon.com. Definitely go check us out there. We have guest profiles. We have more ways to access our episodes. We have our about page. So if you want to learn a bit more about us, and we also have a contact page. And if there's someone that you know, or somebody you admire, and you'd love to hear us interview them, um, definitely shoot us an email. We will definitely reach out. Or if you want to introduce us to someone, we would love to for you to contact us with that. Or if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear that too. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at aiming the number four moon. We'll post regular updates and sometimes even teasers for future episodes. So definitely go follow us there. Um, we'd love to hear from you. That's another way you can message us. And I think that's it. Yep. So definitely, if you have any suggestions or interview requests, check us out there. Also, don't forget to rate the podcast and share it around. We'd really appreciate that. It helps us keep doing these things. It also helps us get bigger guests. So definitely do that. And I believe that is all. Maddie, don't forget. Set your sights high. And aim for the moon. Aim for the moon.